Welcome to the Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches, and managers of young aspiring footballers. Your hosts from Pezza Street Soccer are Pez and Jeff. Welcome along to the Inner Huddle, and today we have special guest Terry Anderson, who I've written down here, fitness and nutrition expert. Is that about right, Terry? Welcome along. Something like that, yeah, good afternoon. A little bit of background about yourself. Well, our background we should start with, really. We met on the football pitch, didn't we? Probably yeah, played... No, years, even yeah. longer ago than that, isn't it? You yeah, came did some work experience with me, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, it's going to make me feel old, isn't it, Jeff? How old were you then? I reckon I'm about 14, 15, probably. 14 or 15. You don't have to say how old you are now. <laughs> but yeah, you did. You came on work experience with me at Southampton Football Club, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, in Andover. At John, John Hanson, yeah. John Hanson School. Wow, I've forgotten all about that. Yeah, it was many... Many years, Many years ago. ago. So yeah, so yeah, we've, we've known each other longer than I even remembered. And then we did end up playing the same team together, didn't we? Yeah, a couple of seasons playing football on Sunday morning. Yeah, so that means probably shouted at you a lot and you hate me for that, but standard. And we did you play in the um, charity game for the radio show that time? I know Tommy did. I often wondered if you were in the team. Just gives me an opportunity so. to say I scored the winning penalty again. No, that's I don't a, think I did. Know, oh, well, Didn't never mind. I've said it now, eh, Jeff? More recently, you came in as our special guest on our elite training camp in the summer yep. for Pezza Street Soccer. Bit of background then, Terry. You sure. run Coach Anderson. Give us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, I run Coach Anderson Nutrition and Fitness. That's my personal business, but I'm also um, co-owner of Reasons Fitness uh, Gym in Andover. I've been in the, the industry health and fitness for over a decade now. I did a degree in sport and exercise science in Cardiff, and then from then I uh, went into personal training, um, set up a gym a couple of years after that um, with uh, Tommy Gentleman and Andy Hillier. Is that Infinite Pulse, the first one? Yeah, it was originally it was a PT studio at Infinite yeah. Pulse, and then we kind of outgrew that and developed Reasons Fitness, where we've been uh, had a gym on the Portway now for the last six and a half years. More recently, probably the last three or four years, I've studied a lot more into nutrition and just incorporated more elements of that into my overall kind of health and fitness business, really. Um, I work with anyone from weight loss to sports, athletes, uh, anything really. I've worked with children, um, people who have chronic diseases, um, so yeah, wide variety of people I like to help. But yeah, more recently it has gone a little bit more down the nutrition route, um, which is what I'll be helping with, I think, a bit more today. Yeah, normally with these shows, and for those of you who don't know how it works, we have a list of questions in front of you. I think, let me have a little look. We have 16, some of which are from myself and Jeff, some of which people have sent in for this show, and some of which people have sent in over a period of time, and we've kept them for this show. Normally, I mean, normally Jeff has about as many notes as he's got today, <laughs> and none. But normally I have lots of notes on most of the shows this one i've got well, as you can see none either because as you can probably tell by looking at myself <laughs> Jeff, we're not heavily into nutrition are we but these questions are excellent and a wide variety of them yeah. which we hope will add some value to uh, parents mainly who have sort of young children or children in general i suppose yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, obviously at a young age, the nutrition is highly dependent on the parent, really. Um, not that most children don't have much say in what they eat a lot of the time. So, uh, yeah, a lot of what I'll talk about today will be information for the parents to pass on to their children, but also uh, information that they can, you know, relay back, um, help their children learn and understand why certain foods and stuff might be beneficial for them. Excellent. Jeff, have you had time to go through the questions? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> of course you haven't standard, but that's part of the charm of the show, is that you don't prepare for it. Yeah. Uh, I'd hate to think what would happen if you did. Right, so we'll get started with question number one. 
I'll set us off. My child is 12 years old and really struggles with stitches during matches. They can come on at any point and he's had to leave the field on a couple of occasions. Is there anything you can do to help prevent them? Right, yeah, so this is a, a good start. It's, <laughs> it's a, a tricky a little, start, isn't it? A little bit of a ringer of a question here. In that, much to what probably most of the listeners will be, you know, have on, stitch, uh, on stitches is probably still what I'm going to tell you now. In that it's a bit of an anomaly with, uh, within the sort of health and fitness industry and medical field in that they have you know medical professionals have a good understanding of what it might be but they still don't really know 100% what stitch is so a couple of the more kind of legitimate reasons why they think it might be is an increased blood flow to um, the liver and spleen which is like as you start exercising you get a bit of a shunt of a blood through the liver which can cause a bit of pain in that area whilst it's trying to be sort of pumped around the body the other kind of one which is a little bit probably makes a little bit more sense is not a little bit more sense but equally um, understandable is that you might get cramp in your diaphragm so your diaphragm's a muscle like any other and as you're running you you know there's nothing to say you're going to get cramp in your calf or your arm or your back or your, you know anywhere else like you would your diaphragm obviously your diaphragm's looking hard which is a muscle that lies just underneath your lungs yeah every time you breathe in your diaphragm works so they're two kind of common reasons why medical professionals think that a stitch might happen unfortunately you can't really stop it coming on um some people are luckier than others and just te- don't tend to sort of suffer with it and others seem to suffer with it a bit more it can be sort of linked with health and fitness in that if your body becomes used to having this kind of increased blood flow regularly you might deal with it a little bit better you might not get it at the onset quite so much but unfortunately there's not a lot you can do with stitch one other reason would be that if you've eaten a meal too um, yeah, I was too just going to say about that. Is that a myth or is that No, it's not a myth. Or? It's more like the blood flow that should be going to the muscles often will be there trying to digest the food in the stomach. So, again, you can lead to kind of the muscles not working correctly that should be and in and around the rib cage. Is that the you, same if you drink too much as well? Because I used to get it if I had a lot to drink, like water, that is, <laughs> before I played a game of football. Yeah, when you get a lot of fluid, uh, it's hard for the body to digest, you know, what's, what's in the stomach at the time. So whether that is liquid um, or too much liquid or whether it's a food, your body's trying to do both at the same time. And so that can cause the stitch where either a muscle cramp up because it's not getting enough of the blood to it or your stomach will cramp because it's got a a load of food sitting in there it's kind of like the cramp the feeling of cramp can happen for a number of reasons there is like a couple of ways which um it's kind of seen to help the stitch and probably what you've been told again years ago which (laughs) the two kind of common ones are to stop running and bend over and touch your toes seems to help um and also to press on the area So, so if it's in your side uh, just push on that area a little bit. Obviously, don't go too mad, <laughs> but push on that area a little bit, and it seems to relieve the the pressure and the pain. And as soon as it's gone, you can kind of crack on. There's nothing really to stop you playing when you have a stitch. Like you there's not any damage being done, is there? No, no, no. It's just, it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. Obviously, if there's a a common denominator there of you've been eating right before football and you always get a stitch, try not eating yeah. uh, so much before. That kind of thing. Right, yeah, that was a bit of a tricky one to start with, isn't it, Jeff? Are you a man that suffered from stitches in your time? Yeah, I used to, but stop running. I haven't <laughs> yeah. done that for years, yeah. and I haven't had a stitch for years. So, you know yeah. I haven't <laughs> had a stitch for years either, funny enough, Jeff. Amazing that, isn't it? Right, Jeff, do you want to read out question number two? I do. I have a son that has always been very active and fit. He's still a good cross-country runner, but during his football, he seems to run out of steam. He's just about to turn 11, and I'm worried he's not as fit as he used to be. 
any ideas why this might be? That's another tricky one, isn't it, Tal? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a few reasons why this could be. I mean, simply, he may not be as fit as he used to be. You know, fitness has, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an adult or a child, you can go through periods where you're fitter than you used to be or not as fit as you once were. It depends what he's doing. But I think probably more than this is that cross-country running is going to give you a base of cardiovascular fitness for sure, but it's not necessarily the same type of fitness that's required for like repeated sprints in football. So obviously you need a bit of an engine and that's what he'll probably run off of with regards to that's similar to cross-country running. But he could become tired very quickly if all of a sudden he had to do two or three sprints. because so it's just two different energy systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your body will, will use... A variety of different energy systems you'll be using several at once but generally you've got like your really fast sprinting type of energy system which is your atp system that's kind of the first 10 seconds then you'll go into what's called your like glycolytic system which is more like lactic acid that's you'll probably get that uh, a lot of use out of that when you're a footballer because you're doing repeated sprints for up to 30 seconds sometimes or more and then you've got your your, your cardiovascular oxidative system which is the one that's going to keep you going the whole game um, it's the same one that marathon runners use so it's the kind of difference between what a sprinter would use what a 400 or 800 meter runner would use and what a marathon runner would use they all use three different energy systems okay um so yeah it's it's the kind of difference between that so good advice might be good advice l- less cross-country running maybe and mix up your training a little bit if you want to match it to football. don't panic really it's yeah not, yeah, yeah exactly like i mean it's good to have that variety there obviously with football you, you need both energy systems so if he's got a good cross-country background then that's always going to bode him well i wouldn't say to necessarily stop but if he needs to get fitter in other areas, it might be worth doing a little trade-off. And from my experience, parents always compare their child to the best they've been at. If they've been incredibly fit and won cross-country events and things, then they compare them always to that child that's been at that stage at that point. So, and it, like you said, it fluctuates. So I wouldn't panic. No, no, not at all. Right, Donna, are you going to come in with a question? Uh, my son is 10 and plays for a team that do regular fitness sessions, including a bleep test. I listened to your podcast a while back saying that it was more important at that age to concentrate on the football. I was wondering what Terry's thoughts are. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I think that's probably right for for children. It's, It's so important at a young age to get skill acquisition and to be able to pick up the fundamentals of movement, how to to play the game and develop a load of underpinning skills. Fitness, you can see fluctuate, like I said before, and you can be super fit as a child, but there's nothing to stop you getting super fit within six months if you aren't fit. And Pez could run a marathon in six months' time if he wanted to. Let's not push it, Terry. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I think whilst you're a child, it's important to, while you've got flexibility, while you're less likely to be getting injured, you need to be picking up all the vital skills that are going to be important when you're older. I mean, a professional footballer, for example... You can be a professional at 16 now, and so to be an expert in your field, you have to spend the best part of a decade learning your trade. And your trade is football, it's yeah. not fitness. Yeah, it's exactly. part of it. But yeah. I mean, I think in the podcast, which is available on iTunes and Podbean, <laughs> I think we were saying no reason why you can't do both. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. If you're 
decent enough coach you can do fitness with a ball at your feet whereas yeah. a bleep test totally takes that mind you i suppose you could do a bleep test with a ball at your feet see who runs of it might be a bit trickier football's flying everywhere but still the, the yeah i mean when there. i was at uni like a major part of the physiology majors there were developing fitness tests which were actually appropriate for sports right, so okay. they had like a tennis court one which was a bleep test measured the same sort of fitness but it was developed just for tennis so you were going left right forward back much better um, on the court yeah i think we hammered it a little bit didn't we on the podcast basically saying at that age if your manager or coach is doing it it's probably more to please the parents and make it aesthetically pleasing and like might be they might think that's what the parents want to see you know we're getting them fit now and, and a bleep taste is something that professionals do so it's something we're going to do right i think we're done with that one we're joined in the studio by special guest terry anderson or coach anderson do people refer to you as coach anderson uh sometimes more on like social media i don't normally get too many people who call me coach okay, i'll stick with tell <laughs> like it has been for years but anyway welcome along terry it's uh been a good start i think jeff yep you're learning a lot yeah loads <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, actually, a lot of people said oh, I'm really going to make an effort to listen to this one because it's it's like we said earlier, like Jeff said, it, you know, you don't have to be just into football to get something out of this show. Cool. Question number four. I think it's back round to me, isn't it? Okay. Number four. At what age do children start losing flexibility, and what sort of things should they be doing once it starts decreasing? Okay. So this is a, a bit of a kind of ambiguous one in that everyone's going to be slightly different particularly with the rate at which children grow so generally most children are pretty flexible and their bones don't stop kind of being malleable until they're much older in their teens but there is a reduction in uh, flexibility around puberty so generally when a child gets a growth spurt for a period of time they're going to be less flexible than they once were and that means that they're at a high risk of injury simply because at that point their bones might grow quicker than their muscles can in which case the range of movement they have at a joint is going to be reduced just because the muscles are having to catch up and the ligaments aren't quite you know they might be already quite stretched with the attachments so of it, the bone. if there are muscles are in that state of stretch yeah is it pointless then stretching them more uh, no, it just means that they, they're they at more risk of an injury. They're going to be less flexible for a while. Okay. Uh, I think throughout the, you know, from the, right from the age dot when you're playing sport, uh, you always just need to be aware of how your child's feeling. Like if they're, if they're reporting sore muscles or if they're reporting, you know, problems, you just need to be aware of that. And if it's a consistent thing, then yeah, you need to just check out um, whether or not it is to do with their flexibility. I think a massive thing, and the number one thing to take away from this question is, it's important that everyone does flexibility work. So it should be a dynamic warm-up followed by stretches at the end. Um, you don't really want to be stretching too much before a game. You want to be dynamically warming up using the movements that... So static stretches, you mean? Yeah, static stretches aren't really good before a match um, or before sport. But afterwards. But they are afterwards. The idea with stretching is to prepare the muscles for exercise and then to basically recover them from the exercise afterwards. So static stretching helps afterwards. The problem is if it's not done as a child and it's not done throughout and consistently, then those children will will suffer more when they're older. So if you get someone like a gymnast who's consistently doing flexibility work, yes, they might injure themselves because they're doing backflips at all the time, but if they were just doing normal sports, they're probably standing a much better chance of not being injured because they're more flexible. Um, because they've simply done it the whole way through whereas 
I mean, when I was growing up, it was literally like a little stretch at the end of a session, and, and that's all it was as a kid. Um, so I think it's more prevalent now that it's important to do warm ups and cool downs correctly. But yeah, definitely, I think there's no right, uh, there's no kind of exact age where somebody loses flexibility. It's just around puberty, they'll become a little bit less flexible, and then after puberty, they'll gain some flexibility back. But throughout, even as a young child, you should be doing the, the sort of dynamic stuff and the stretching to work on that. From what from a very young age. Well, my point of view of this is start of the season I went down to Southampton with our under sevens. And yeah. a big shout out to our manager, George Plank. And our warm up was kind of everyone had a ball each and we were doing our kind of dynamic stuff with a ball, etc. And we looked around and everyone's doing runs, doggies, and then an, uh, a stretch, that sort of thing that would have happened. 10, 20, 30 years ago. But it's what the parents expect and what they want them to see and what they've seen in the Premier League. Yeah. And I, I said to George, look at everyone else, no one's got a ball each. And hardly any teams were kicking a ball, yeah. except for maybe at the goal a couple of times before they started. Yeah. Now, who's right and who's wrong, or is it, as with everything, a bit of a balance between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a case of... But these are six years old, by the way, so under seven, so just, just turning seven, some of them. I think kids are going to be able to get away with a lot more and so when they're that old it's a case of are you going to be able to get them to do like specific dynamic warm-ups you're probably just giving them a ball and warming up and doing a little bit of dribbling and just doing a few kind of pulse raising type games is going to be okay with them yeah. Um, as they get a little bit older you want to start teaching them what age that would be you probably would know more about that than me like when you can start teaching children you know more about the technicalities of things but yeah. as, a, as a young child of like five and six yeah just getting them to move and gradually building up the tempo is going to warm them up enough I, would have yeah, thought. I think it's good to get them into good habits yeah so they realize there is a warm-up and a warm-down process yeah exactly yeah. what's involved in it for you know football should involve a football and we're, yeah. we're massive on that and there's plenty of dynamic movements you can do with a football yeah, even exactly. if you're dribbling and then you do your dynamic movement and then you start dribbling again and you're getting thousands of touches and you're getting your dynamic warm up yeah. raising the, the, you know, the blood you know, flow start, start with, it makes sense to start walking go a little bit quicker a little bit quicker, you know, build it up and then all of a sudden they're running with the ball and then they're starting to pass it, kick it and stuff that's going to naturally warm them up it's just, you don't want to do what the, uh, the Sunday league do and go out onto the pitch and start drilling the ball at the goal no, we never used to do that, surely. <laughs> Donna, I think you wanted to add something to the question on flexibility. Yeah, so my daughter has hypermobility. Do you work with any children that deal with, you know, because I know you are saying about flexibility and stuff. She gets, she's too flexible in some way. So I was just wondering, I don't know if this is your area, but what sports would be good for her? That's not too, have I, I just thrown you in the deep end then? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's absolutely fine. Because, um, yeah, I've worked with hypermobile people in the past. Um, I wouldn't say there are sports which are good for being hypermobile. With anyone who is hypermobile, you are at risk of injury um, simply because you're putting your, your joints and your muscles at the end of their range and beyond almost what they're naturally supposed to be able to do. However, if somebody is particularly flexible, something like gymnastics and things like that where you're learning specific movements in a controlled environment would be something which is probably more beneficial. A gymnastics coach would be able to tell you more about that. I don't think there's any sport that you can say, right, they can't do that because they're hypermobile. I think you have to just monitor it and be careful. No sport is designed for people to be hypermobile. And I don't think anyone who uses that end range will get like a benefit out of it. So I think even if you have hypermobile joints, you should always still be practicing the same range of movement as a normal, you know, somebody with normal mobility. Okay. I think it's just a case of, 
yes, um, they're going to be able to do a lot more than somebody who's not hypermobile in terms of flexibility work and things like that. Okay, thank you. I just wondered because she, she's quite sporty. She's quite she likes trampolining and things like that. And I just get a bit worried about over her overstretching her joints because she gets it from my husband. So he hurt himself. He's in the army judo team. Yeah. So he the other you never week told me that, Donna. Sorry. So yeah, he's he's in the army judo team, and he was at um, rehearsals a few about a month ago. And he, a, a gentleman, threw him and his leg, instead of it going, I can't explain it really, instead of it going backwards, it went to the side. Yeah. Um, and it literally, he was in pain and he was in on crutches and for weeks and weeks. And luckily enough, he didn't have, because a sprain, before I didn't even realise a sprain, you've got three different sprains, haven't you? There's a one, two and a three. Yeah, different grades. So grains, yeah. he had a grade two. Um, and also, he'd, he'd, his bones had bled because it was that bad, apparently. So that's what was causing the pain. So he's got hypermobility. Never knew he had it. So I just wondered whether or not certain sports were off, off subject. But you've said it now, so thank you. Grade um, three is total rupture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. Right. that's what like he thought he had. And he thought he was going to get downgraded yeah. and out of the army and different things. So. Oh, goodness. But luckily enough, it wasn't. And he's, he's, he's near enough back to he's doing um, physiotherapy. So it's good. Right, you want your question five, isn't it? Yes, please. Right, how important is diet and nutrition with regards to very young footballers? It's a very open yeah. question, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty um, wide. I would say I'll like take the football element out of it and just say that for young children... It is like super important. There's a couple of uh, a couple of reasons really why, and that's that children are built in exactly the same way as an adult. They require the exact same nutrients in order to function correctly. They have to work exactly as an adult does, and in fact, their their requirements for energy can be that that are sometimes even more than a, a, an adult simply because of the amount that they're growing, the amount that they're moving in the day. So their need for nutrition is perhaps even more than, than, a grown, than a fully grown adult. So this is where I always get a lot of conflict with my clients and when they ask me questions about their children in that they're like, well, you know, it's all well and good meat and chicken and broccoli and rice, but my kids don't eat anything other than the turkey dinosaurs. And it's like, well... Jeff's still like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not to say, you know, a balance or, or, you know, everything in moderation isn't isn't fine, you know. Kids are kids. They're going to want to have sweets. They're going to want to have the thing that the other kid had. But if th- there are profound risks that your children take when they're having a poor diet, there's links that up to 70% of obese teens show signs of cardiovascular disease. Wow. It's a, there's a new study uh, area called, uh, well, relatively new study area called epigenetics. It's how genes express themselves. So we're all made up of a genetic code, and a lot of the time people think that the way your genes are made up will lead to a lot of the, the hereditary diseases you've got. But that is true to a degree, but there's actually a, a wealth of, of research now that suggests that the way that food acts on the body determines how genes express themselves and that's exactly the same for a child as it is for an adult so for example sugar refined sugars can make genes act in a certain way that are producing an environment to create cancer different forms of cancers so although you might look at your kid and go oh you know he's absolutely fine he's slim runs around loads he's fine it doesn't mean that his genes aren't or, or his or her genes aren't going to express themselves or it's not going to have a profound effect on their life later on. Plus the old good habits thing as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, they, yeah. They'll develop a liking for all of this type of food and then one day they might have to change it for either health reasons or because they're putting on weight or because they get into sport at a, an elite level or any level, to be fair, and 
they can't break that cycle of craving those foods that they used to. Yeah, exactly. Like any any time that a body becomes sort of used to, you know, or, or it, it has a response that's poor to sugar and carbohydrates and things like that, and then you speed it up again and then it slows down through either like a diet culture or just periods of eating bad, pe- periods of eating well, there's like a lasting effect that, that happens. And so every single time you try to lose weight, it becomes harder. So a child who perhaps is uh, obese because they've you know they they haven't been eating well will find it much 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 harder to lose weight as an adult just simply because they weren't looking after themselves as uh, or or their parents weren't able to look after them as well in in that respect with food it's it's a difficult area because kids are going to want to eat mm-hmm. nice tasty things and unfortunately um it's a little bit of a culture that's that's kind of been and and it's to do with food companies and everything like that which doesn't help but at the same time there's absolutely it's just logic to think that a child needs as many nutrients if not more as what we do so if we want to go and be healthy and we want to eat you know and lose weight and stuff you got to you got to think how you can incorporate that with your children as well what what do you think the reasons are for that is some of it laziness just convenience or yeah it's just giving into the kid or they're cheap, sugar, salt and fat's tasty. Since the 80s, it's been pumped into foods and unfortunately it provides us with a love for food that isn't there. We're the only species on earth that eat for pleasure and, you know, it's it's far more so now because the foods that we eat are actually, they connect with our brain for like a reward system. It's actually like so good to have those foods. You get an instant gratification and a child will, will be exactly the same. When they're forming these habits, like you say, and these connections in their brain, they're, they're making association with food. Child falls over, grazes their knee, they're crying. Oh, have this, it'll make you feel better. Yeah. You know, they these associations. These associations are there then when they're older, you know, they go through a bad patch in their life as, as an older teenager. Immediately they think, well, I know what made me feel better as a kid. You can reach for the Jaffa sweets. cakes, hey, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> he's just putting some on the floor. <laughs> trying to hide them now. Right, no, great stuff. And I think we're going to, because I was going to ask about some sort of top tips to help, but I think we're going to get onto that a little bit later. But, yeah, sure. You know, I, I notice a lot of parents will let the kids have a separate dinner to them. So they have something totally different to what they're eating at a completely different time. So yeah. something simple might be we'll eat together. I know it's not always We eat together. Do you eat together? We eat together. So I tend to, I used to be like some other parents because I grew up with my mum doing the whole mum's been to Iceland kind of thing or used to go and, she used to buy a lot of frozen stuff. I went right back to basics about four or five years ago. So I make my own sauces. I mean, I know I'm a big girl, but that's because I overeat things I shouldn't eat like sweets and crisps. But when it comes to meals, very much make your own sauces and pretty much from scratch I'm not going to lie there are the odd days where you have some chicken nuggets and chips or something but they're oven chips they're not fri- I don't fry my things I don't fry anything um, and it wasn't until recently I realised you can have a fried egg without using oil Yeah, yeah you yeah. can do that you can crack an egg in a, in a non-stick frying pan and put a lid or a plate over the top and the heat and the steam from it cooks the top of the egg so you don't even need to use oil there we go there's a little tip for you there not Donna's adding more value I mean Sorry. you put together just um, today in the huddle from Peza Street Soccer.